our scripture reading. Today's scripture reading is Mark chapter 14, verses 22 to 31. Mark chapter 14, verses 22 to 31. And if you have it, if you could just please stand for the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 14, verses 22 to 31. I'll read it if you could follow along. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray. God, we thank you for today. I pray, Lord, as we hear these words that, Lord, you would use me, this, this weak vessel, to be able to speak your words of truth. I pray, God, that our hearts would be open, that even as we are listening from our homes, Lord, even from this church, Lord, that our hearts and our minds and our ears would be fully open to receive your word. I pray that it would penetrate the very depths of us and that it would apply to our personal lives today. And so we thank you, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would just move upon this place. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, today's sermon is called The Last Supper. Now, when Jesus wants to say something of utmost importance, there's something that he always says before. Now, this isn't to discredit anything else that he says. Of course, everything that he says is important. But there are times when he says something that he really wants us to listen to. And the times when he really wants us to listen to, he starts his sentence with the Hebrew word, amen. You know, I was trying to find a parallel uh, in the English language for this when we were trying to get someone's attention and, and to share something important, but I just, I couldn't think of one. I don't know if we really have one. The only thing that I could think of was, hey, 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 <laughs> hey, right? And, and that's kind of, that wakes you up and that, and that kind of, you know, tells you, but it's not the same, it's not the same. Now, for Jesus, though, every time that he would begin his sentence with amen, it was meant to signify something crucial that was about to be said. Now, for you who are listening, if you're trying to rack your brain and think about when are the times that Jesus would say amen in the beginning of, his, of, of any of his teachings and things, I can't think of it, that's okay. Because you see, the translators, when they were going through this, they chose a different English word to signify the same meaning. And it's the word truly. Truly, truly, I tell you. You see, this passage is about a really famous event called the Last Supper. 
And we can glance by this because it's so familiar. But within this story, Jesus says two things that are extremely important. He does two amen statements. He starts out with these two words saying, amen, pay attention to this two times within this short passage. And he wants us to focus in on them. He wants us to zone in because they are so vitally important. And these two statements you see, church, are important because they encompass how we should understand who he is and how to be more like him. And so what I want to do today is really simple. I just want to look at these two statements by Jesus, see what they mean and how they apply to us. And lastly, at the end, see how they connect back to the Last Supper. Okay, that's it. Now, the first one, verse 25. It says, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying one thing here. He's saying that he is completely committed to fulfilling his mission. You see, at this point, Jesus, he is drinking and eating with his disciples. And all of a sudden, he says this one thing, I will not drink again until it's with God and with you in the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus here, he was using a specific type of language called vow language. You see, back then, promises were extremely important. There were no lawyers or contracts that they could sign. You see, everything was based upon someone's word. And there were different levels of promises that you could make, but one of the highest levels of promises that you could say is to say, I take a vow, I promise not to eat or drink until this becomes a reality. I promise not to eat or drink until I fulfill this promise that I have given you. Because what this person is saying is that fulfilling this promise is more important to me than living my life. This is the highest priority of who I am. See, church, Jesus, he knew two things here. The first was that in the next few days, that he would experience the worst pain and suffering that anyone could ever endure. He would be completely torn apart mentally, physically, and spiritually. But even within that, he was saying that I am still completely committed to God. Even within that, I am not going to waver in my faith. I am not going to waver in my mission. I am here for a reason, and I'm going to follow through regardless of any of the circumstances and regardless of any of the pain and any of the suffering that I am going to go through. I am committed. And the next thing, church, the second thing Jesus knew was that when he died, he knew that the disciples, they would be terrified. They would be afraid because, you see, it would seem like the Jewish people had won. It would seem like Jesus was a fraud. And so they would have to go into hiding. And for a short amount of time, 
They would have to think about, did everything that I see, did everything that I hear, was the man of Jesus, was he actually a hoax? But Jesus, in making this promise, is saying that he is completely committed to those who trust in him. He's not talking to the disciples in that moment. The disciples were comfortable then. He's talking to the disciples because he knew what would happen in the future. He knew that they would begin to waver. He knew that they would be afraid. He knew that they would be confused. And he's saying to them that even though it seems like I'm gone, even though it seems like the world has gone victory, even though the world seems like it is all one and everything is is good for them and, and everything's bad for me, I am still going to be with you, I am still committed to you, and I am going to still be committed to bringing you home to heaven. Now, how does this apply to us? Church, the first thing is that our faith in God is not an emotion, it's a commitment. The difference between a commitment and an emotion is that my circumstances are affected by my commitments, and yet my emotions are affected by my circumstances. In other words, let me tell you, if I have a phone call meeting and I committed to making a phone call to my friend at 12 p.m., it means that whatever happens up to that point can happen, but at 12 o'clock, all of my circumstances are going to stop. It means that everything that happens up to that point It doesn't matter because my commitment supersedes it. That I can be eating lunch, that I could be meeting a friend, that I could be watching TV, and yet at 12 o'clock exactly, I am going to follow through on my commitment because it is a greater priority than anything else around me. And yet what happens with emotions is that your emotions are dictated by your circumstances. And so if something is good, if something good is happening, then I feel good and I'm happy. And yet at the next moment, something bad can happen and my emotions turn from happiness to sadness. My emotions can be dependent on what's happening around me. You see, for Jesus, his relationship with the Father was a commitment. It was a commitment that that superseded any type of circumstance in his life and that included the torture that he would go through. That included any type of punishment, any type of hurt, any type of pain that he would go through. It was a commitment. You know, to have a lasting marriage, I think a lot of you guys know this, it means means more than just having feelings of love. There was this UCLA study that interviewed 172 married couples. And it showed that the couples, everyone thought that they were committed to one another. And yet there was only a portion of them who lasted. And they realized that the the reason why only a portion of them lasted was because only a portion of them had the right definition of commitment. And they said those who defined commitment rightly, those who lasted long, those who were able to endure in their marriage, define commitment as a willingness to do whatever it takes to make the marriage work. And that means being willing 
to sacrifice. That's a really simple definition, and yet I think it's so important for us to understand that even within marriage, yes, that's true, but even within our faith as well, that it takes commitment and it takes work. In 2 Timothy 4.7, Paul, he is talking at towards the end of his life. He is looking back on all that has happened. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. Paul, he's saying, I have persevered in my faith. It's not something that happened to him. He's saying, look, even through all of the trials that I've gone through, even through all the hardships that I've done, I've continued to hold on to what is most important. I have committed to this thing. And even within the different circumstances of my life, I have put God as a priority. I have persevered and I've kept persistent God as my first and only thing. In church, this applies not only to God, but to one another. Just as Jesus was committed to his disciples, Christians are to be committed in loving and caring for one another. It means that we are able to make each other a priority, and it means we are able to sacrifice for one another as well. In church, this means that Look, our relationships with one another is the foundation of how we're able to speak words of truth and of life into each other. Throughout Jesus' ministry, we know that his words would have great impact on the crowds. But we see those that were most impacted were actually his disciples. One of the reasons for this was because he had a deep personal relationship with them. And it was a relationship, you see, that he didn't have that was the same with the crowds. And because they trusted him, his words had more impact for the disciples than they did with the crowds. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the enemy multiplies kisses. Two people could be saying the same exact words to one person. But that person will apply it drastically different depending on their relationship to that person. Our goal as Christians is to form deep relationships with one another so that when the time comes, we are able to speak words of truth and words of grace to build one another up to challenge one another, and to restore one another, right? Now, the second amen statement that Jesus says is in verse 30. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Now, why would Jesus use an amen statement to this? Why is he telling us that this is particularly important that, G that Peter would disown him three times. You see, Jesus is telling Peter an important truth. That even though Jesus is never going to fail Peter, he knows that Peter will fail him. In our relationship with, with Jesus Christ, it's important to know that Jesus 
will not fail you, but it's just as important to know that when you fail, Jesus knows that you are going to fail. And even though he knows you are going to fail, he will stay faithful to you. You see, church, the point of this betrayal by Peter is not to highlight Peter's unfaithfulness. It's to show that even in Peter's unfaithfulness, Jesus will still be faithful. It says, you are going to disown me not once, not twice, but three times. But even though you betray me, I'm not going to betray you. That even though you are unfaithful to me, guess what? I'm still going to be faithful to you. And that even though you gave up on me, Peter, I am not going to give up on you. This is Jesus' amen statement to Peter. Church, how does this apply to us? God, he knows that you will be unfaithful. He knows that you are going to fail. He knows that you are going to stumble, and he knows that you are going to fall. And for many of us, we focus so much on our failures because inside we think that God's commitment to us is based upon our commitment to him. And so the moment we break that commitment is the moment that God is going to break his commitment to us. But Jesus knew of Peter's failure, and yet he still promises in the very same passage that he is going to stay faithful until the very end. He says, truly, I tell you, Peter, you are going to disown me. And yet at the same time, he says, truly, I tell you, I am going to stay faithful until the very end. And, you know, as I was studying this passage, one thing that God was pressing upon my heart was this one word. And it was the word, relax, relax. Because I think many of us have this fear of failure and it's transferred to our relationship with God. And we are on edge because we think everything hinges on how well we've been doing in our faith. But look at how Jesus reassures his disciples. Look, you are going to disown me. You're going to fail me, but I'm not going to fail you. You may give up on me, but I'm not going to give up on you. Even during the times you are not committed, you see, I am committed to you. This also applies, church, to our relationships with one another. That if Jesus was committed even when others failed him, we can also stay committed when others fail us. Relationships are hard. And there's times when people are going to mess up and they're going to hurt us. And it's going to be easy in that moment for us to condemn them or to give up. But we are called as brothers and sisters not to condemn but to restore. We're not called to condemn but to persevere. In the same way that God, he did not send his son to condemn the world but to save it through him. And lastly, how do these two amen statements connect back to the Last Supper? Why would he say this in this crucial event here? 
See, the Last Supper, it was a special meal that remembered the Passover. It was a, another word for the Passover meal. Now, the Passover meal was meant to remind the people of how God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. And there were three major parts to this meal. There was the bread, there was the wine, and there was a lamb. The bread was there to remind the people of the pain the Israelites suffered in Egypt. Not only that, it was usually eaten as unleavened bread because it was meant to signify how quickly that they needed to be saved, how quickly that the Israelites needed to have God's salvation for them, how, how desperately they wanted to come out of Egypt. And so that's why they, would, they wouldn't wait until the bread was risen. They would just eat it immediately. The wine was there to remind the people of the promises of God. How God, even throughout all of the time that he was there, even through all the time that they suffered, that God still was in their minds, that, he was that they were still in his heart, and that he would fulfill his promises that he had promised long ago. And lastly, the lamb was meant to remind the people of the night before the actual Passover. Because you see, church, on the night before the Passover, God, he says to Israel, I'm going to free you from Egypt, but I'm going to do it by sending my angel of judgment. I'm going to do it by sending my angel of death down. And you see, this angel is going to be holding a sword, and the sword will fall upon every single person. Now, what's interesting is that God didn't say this just to the Egyptians. What's interesting is that God sent the angel to everybody, including the Israelites and including the Egyptians. Isn't that strange? Why would God do it this way? You see, it's because God was saying that it wasn't just the Egyptians that were bad. He wasn't saying that it was just one race or one group or one people that deserved judgment. He was saying that everyone deserved to die. That meant the Egyptians deserved to die. That means the Israelites deserved to die. That meant men, women, and children had all fallen short of the glory of God. And you see, the only difference here was that for the Israelites, a sacrifice was made. Their sacrifice was a lamb. And as the angel was passing by, it would see the blood on the doorpost. It would see that the debt was paid, and it would pass over that household. And at the Last Supper, there was only bread and wine. Do you see how when we do communion as well, we don't have anything else other than bread and wine? And the reason why was because Jesus was telling the disciples that the reason there was no lamb there was because he was the final lamb. 
that the angel of death was coming. But for Jesus at the Last Supper, he made a vow that he would stay committed, that he would see it through the end, and that for him, he would be the ultimate sacrifice, that his blood would cover the sins of mankind. And so that when the angel came down and that it would judge the whole world, it would pass over those who believed in him because he was the sacrifice that would be taken in our stead. He was the final lamb. Church, one of the defining factors for so many religions is that those gods, is that those deities demand a sacrifice, whether that is service or whether that is time or whether that is resources. And yet in Christianity, Jesus is the God who comes down and he gives himself as a sacrifice. He gives all of himself so that we could live. He doesn't demand one. He is one. He is the ultimate substitute. He is the final lamb. And it connects so perfectly with these two statements that he makes. Because we have all fallen short. We are all sinful. We will all fail. We will all one day at a time in the future, if that hasn't happened yet, fall short and give up and stay uncommitted to the Lord. And yet even through all of that, he says, guess what? I am going to stay committed. You can trust in me. You can believe in me. Have faith because I have already won. I have already finished the race. How great is our God. Amen. Let's pray.